0: Hello and welcome to the LA Venture Podcast, where David Waxman and Minnie Ingersoll, partners and investors at Ten we We've watched Los Angeles grow from a sleepy tech backwater to a bustling mecca of startup opportunity. Through conversations with fellow investors and a few other special guests, we'll deliver an insider's view of the LA tech scene.
1: Today we have Eva Ho, founding general partner at FICa, previously a founding GP at SUSE executive at Factual and Applied Semantics, companies we at 1010 know well, product marketing exec at Google, company I know well. Eva has an inspiring background and leads an inspiring life, dedicating her time not only to investing, but also to the California Community Foundation, to all raise, and much more. Eva, you were my first call when I decided to move to LA. And you were incredibly helpful, full of advice. um, And I'm incredibly grateful for for that advice and also for being on the podcast today. Thank you.
2: Oh, thanks, Minnie. That's those are really kind words. And I'm really excited to be here with you and Dave. Well, thanks
0: for thanks for being with us. Um, let's just start a little bit with your background. You have a really remarkable background, so I'm hoping you'll share with anyone who already doesn't know it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I'll keep it short. Um, but uh, I've been a VC for seven years prior, a longtime operator, as Min- as Minnie mentioned, um, with a variety of companies, big and small. Um, but I think the background of the background that's more interesting is probably how I grew up. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I grew up in Mozambique, Africa. Um, my family came over as refugees post the civil war there. Um, so, you know, we lived in the housing projects, um, food stamp recipients. Um, so, I think a lot of those experiences early on, coming from a very low income background, has really shaped not only what I focus on today. Um, but how I think about founders and, the, honestly, the ideas we want to support. Um, so I think that's just a quick snapshot. And we've been doing FICA for a couple of years, and I'm happy to go into FICA a bit more.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, uh, um, I've heard a lot about your civic engagement and um, and the stuff that you've done with, with helping society generally, and it's it's wonderful. Oh, um, but I'd love exciting. to get to know a little bit uh, more about Eva the Investor. because Sure, I, uh, yeah, happy I, to share. So, so I guess tell us a little bit about... I guess, first, what brought you to investing? And and how do you think about it? And what do you think your role as a seed investor is?
2: Yeah, it was actually fairly accidental. Um, I was quite happy at Factual with Gil and his team. And I was there for six years and really believed in that mission. Um, But I was doing a little bit of angel investing, which, by the way, is really different for someone who came from that type of background. I think writing any check above $10,000 seems pretty insane given our family was really like living off of $20,000 of income a year for a family of six in Boston. Um, So it took a little bit of... There's quite a bit of obstacle in becoming an angel investor. And I actually work a a lot with the women and underserved communities and thinking about how to be angel investors. But I wrote a few checks and I kind of got a bit addicted uh, to it. Um, And then a friend of mine, Seth Berman, asked me whether I wanted to do it in a a bit of a more formal way. Uh, And sort of that gave rise to Sousa Ventures. So very accidental. I had no... um, intention, desire, honestly, to be a VC. Um, not that anything against VCs, uh, but I think the early days of Apply Semantics and others, my interactions with VCs were not always positive. Um, I think at Factual, you know, we had better VCs uh, around the table, including like Andres and others. And that made me feel like they're not Bad people—they <laughs> um, could actually be useful, uh, and I think um, when Seth asked me, I was like, ah, I, "I could give it a shot." But it was kind of a hobby way of investing. And SUSE One was twenty-five million with a bunch of friends, uh, honestly, um, investing together.
0: Well, SUSE One did pretty well, or is, seems to be doing pretty well, based on. And what I've heard.
2: Yes, I guess from a numbers perspective, um, I think uh, back then, and this is vintage 2013, um, we were able to get into some great companies like Flexport and Robinhood and Expanse um, and Della, one we were really proud of. Um, back then, you were able to write like smaller checks, to be frank, uh, and get into some really good companies. And those were great vintages. Um, so really, we were really proud of that portfolio. But I can't say it was very methodical. Uh, mm-hmm. You know how we were making decisions, how we were choosing. It was really sort of picking the best out of our network, uh, and we didn't have a sort of deep understanding of like portfolio construction. In some ways, a bit fortuitous, to be mm-hmm. frank.
0: I'll take some luck when it yeah, comes yeah, my yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> right? I think I still use a lot so, of it today. So you went from angel investor, which I did too, to being a VC with other people's money, to now being a sort of phase two. For me I found a huge difference between being an angel and being a VC and I I knew that was coming but it was the reality of it, of it was even more than I had expected what about you
2: Yeah I mean I think very similar to your experience Dave um I think angel is really just your own money um sort of your whims your passion areas uh and I think being an institu- institutionalized fund where you have LPs that have a lot of expectations, um, yeah, it was an eye-opener for me, honestly. I think SUSE won. I didn't realize the level of work in terms of back office and other things we needed to do and the fact that we were committing to 10 years. I mean, when I got into it, I I mean, I didn't re- really read those LPs <laughs> very closely. Um, but now I think now that I'm on to my third fund, um, I have greater respect for funds that last a long time and perform well over decades because it's a lot of... um it, you know, it's a lot of focus and commitment. Um, and I'm really grateful. I have a team and partner that allows me to honestly offload some of the stuff that I don't really love doing. Um, so I think, and you have a great partner, like with Mini, I think, and sharing the task of running a formal fund because it, it's really a lot of work. David still does most of the work, to be fair. <laughs> right? I'm learning. Uh, so uh, I'm super interested
1: in the focus, like you were talking about sort of being disciplined as an investor as part of a fund, but just give me the basics of how long Fika has been around and what your focus is.
2: Yeah, sure. Sure, we've been around almost three years now. Um, we officially launched in early 2017. Uh, the first fund was around 40 million, and we knew what we wanted to focus on because it's been it's based on sort of decade plus practice uh, in the areas of enterprise, B two B SaaS, and data oriented solutions. Um, so there's no question on what we wanted to invest in. Um, but as time goes on, I think because themes like AI machine learning data now covers everything uh, that it's no longer so descriptive uh, because I think it's agnostic to sector to problem sets um, to population sets um, so I think we've learned a lot that today like we're basically uh, you know industry agnostic um, we cover everything from uh, on the enterprise side from like manufacturing to legal to supply chain etc Um and education, um, so we're pretty open to lots of things, but with sort of the underlying foundation still around those sort of core elements and core competencies.
0: Yeah, I, I think we found the same thing with with the data message as we, when we came out in thir- in 2013, we talked data, data, data all day long, and it, it's it's as you say, it's sort of become. It's like saying you're a mobile. You invest in That's mobile, right? right? It's, you're it's become so right. so pervasive that it's it's lost a little bit of its. Um, special meaning.
2: Yeah. And I think we have, a, a, honestly, a lot of overlap with Ten One Ten in terms of what we like. And I mean, we've invested, co-invested before. Um, but uh, I think there's a healthy uh, overlap there. Yes, so. there
0: sure is. And yeah. not, not to mention uh, that you and our partner, Gil, have worked together for a very long time, That's right. longer than I've known him by a lot.
1: Although I think when I first uh, was talking to, to both of you guys moving down here, I think I called it big data, or maybe when I was talking with Gil. And he was like, oh, no. I'm really interested in proprietary data and really helped educate me on the different facets of what sort of having a data focus could actually mean. Yeah. So, and you guys also focus on people who have proprietary data sets as part of their moat, I guess?
2: Yeah, we do. Um, It's more sort of important, like how they use the data, it's less sort of about volume. I think every solution today, every application has some element of data. um, But I think it's really looking for founders who can apply it at scale and to really solve things in a big way. and we could talk a lot more about that but i've also been very really focused around the area of data ethics recently given as we watch the world and every day there's like one or more stories around data gone wrong um and how it's shifting political power um rearranging power and as d- data is really being weaponized um not not that it applies day to day to our founders but i've been thinking of frameworks on how we can actually operationalize it at early on when a company's being built versus you know, five, ten years down the road, which is what Facebook and others are facing.
0: Yeah. We've been thinking about that a lot too. And, and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of facets to data ethics, right? There's, there's certainly a whole realm of, of privacy issues and how people's right. personal data are treated. And then there's issues now with machine learning about what's training those models and what Absolutely. biases are built into those models. Um, and, There, there are other issues as well. I'm curious, is there some part of it that you particularly worry about?
2: Um, Um, I think as it applies to some of our companies specifically, um, you know, this is beyond sort of the basic topics around data breaches and things like that. Um, But if you're investing in companies, say, around insurance um, underwriting, like you know, I mean, there. all the new insured insure tech companies are doing underwriting in different ways, using lots of different data signals. Um, there's bias, and all depending on how you const- construct the early data models, there could be a lot of bias. Um, we do we're looking at a lot at tech. You know, there's a lot of bias there too. Like, how do we determine who qualifies to join a cohort? How do we determine intelligence? Um, so there are a lot of things involved that I, I feel like even at the uh, for our founders to think about as they're building solutions in whether it's education, healthcare, uh, housing, is to think about what data sets do they use early days, like you said, Dave, um, what do they train on and be very aware of like what biases uh, are inherent in those models. I think people think data is neutral, but data is not. Data is a form... It's a human construct. Exactly. You know, we decide what to collect. We decide how to use it. And I think it's really just speaking with founders early on on how to think about that. Great. So
1: I'm trying to have this podcast be useful to entrepreneurs who might come and pitch you. And so will you have some of those discussions early on? Like, how are you evaluating founders um, just whatever you can share about what that process looks like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, from a decision-making perspective, there's a team of four, soon to be five, by the way, <laughs> uh, which we're really excited about. We'll bring on another person um, that we'll announce in the fall. Uh, but I think from a decision-making process all five of us will have a vote um, but to move forward with the decision we need at least one of the GPs there are two of us myself and TX has to be strongly supportive and of the five there has to be uh, not one that's strongly not supportive um, and to be not supportive whether it's issues around like uh, ethics or integrity or other things about the market of the problem um, I think you have to really be Against in a strong way. Um, if that is the case, then we won't do the deal. But if we have a strong a GP that's strongly supportive and there's no big sort of a naysayer, then we would move forward with the deal, um, if that makes sense. Um, and, and in terms of just talking to, I've, I've learned a lot over the years because I think when I started, um, I think if you open the aperture wide enough, like most of the pitches and the ideas could work. Um, and I think I was, I was very conservative early on, and I think TX would argue I still am. I think when you come from an operational background, you see a lot of the negatives. You're like, that's not going to work because no enterprise is going to buy that at that price point. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think I definitely have a, a stricter sort of lens um, than some of my um, team members. And I've tried to relax that over time, and I'm trying to really like, get into that more and think about sort of what if it did work? Like how would the world look like if this idea actually came to fruition?
1: Have we covered all the basics of FECA? Uh, your, your early stage, you invest pre,
2: pre-Series A, is that? Pre-Series A, uh, check size is 750 to about 1.2. Um, we certainly have companies that we've written smaller checks, but that's sort of the swim lanes for us. Um, yeah. And in terms of geography, about 40, 50 percent L.A., uh, the remainder uh, rest of the U.S., so about 25 percent Bay Area. Um, and we've been dabbling. I, I would love to hear sort of what you're, you guys are thinking about uh, into other markets. I think when we raised Fund One, we were like, well, you know, because we're a small team, we could only do California and a couple other primary markets like New York and maybe Seattle. Uh, But as time has gone on, as you guys probably have seen, there's just a lot of great companies everywhere. um, And it feels weird not to support it if we have sort of the right way of of doing it, um, and that's why we're actually increasing our team size a bit. Um, but now we've have companies in Chicago, Boston, so we've increased it. Um, but I'm still struggling with when we see something great in like Indianapolis, you know, which I think is actually starting to become a thriving ecosystem there, or Salt Lake. So,
0: so let's say that somebody does make it to you, um, and they've gotten through the first screen, however that goes. Um, how did it get funded by you? What 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 things do you look for in a pitch? What things are red flags? How does that process
2: work? Yeah, we're uh, I think <laughs> the folks who pitch to us and make it through sort of the process. Um, we're a pretty like data driven decision maker. Not to say that we don't rely on our gut because certainly I think all, I'm sure with the two of you when you hear a pitch, there's often just like a gravitational pull, and it's hard to describe. Whether that's based on just like human chemistry or it triggers something from like your childhood or your background. um, And those are often like pretty unanticipated, sort of that excitement. But often it's like as you go through the process, that excitement weans because then you find, you know, some pink flags here along the way. Um, But our process takes about two to three weeks. Um, We're very respectful of founders' time. If we start engaging with you, um, you know, through the first video call or meeting and then we have a team meeting, our process is fairly structured and traditional. So there's nothing in the process that I would say is really different from probably what you guys do. Um, But we're very good about getting sort of from the start to the end in like two to three weeks. We always give you a very decisive answer. Uh, we don't leave things hanging. Uh, we don't say, like, we'll just continue to track you. Like, it's just not our thing. I mean, we'll say we'll continue to like, cheer you on and things like that. Um, but we don't try to mislead you and to think about that we're paying attention to you like every second day, even though we passed. Um, we do about eight to 10 investments a year. And right now, I'm sure, same with you, there's like a flood of companies, even compared to two years ago. So we probably look at like three to 4,000 companies that come in either organically or and organically, um, our team responds to every single email that comes in. Uh, we basically try to open and look at lots of decks. Um, we've gone down pretty far with some companies that are not from a warm referral, uh, but I would have to admit that we haven't done a deal in that way yet. And I should ask myself, like, why? I don't know why. Um, you know, <laughs> so I think often it's just like not enough information potentially, um, but we have done first and second, you know, calls and meetings with companies that have done cold outreach to us.
1: And so, will people usually for you if you 're writing like a million dollar check, we find we 're often almost sort of a second seed um, where're ten one ten not not only, but um, do you guys often find that the entrepreneurs you 're investing in have already raised you know six hundred k in the pre seed and you 're sort of their second seed nowadays
2: yes there's a lot of that, but of the last three months, I feel like there's a lot of Pre seeds that are now starting off at two to four million dollars. <laughs> <So, laughs> I, mean, I
0: can't keep up with the uh, nomenclature. It
2: yeah, was... there's a lot, meaning, you know, what used to be classified as, you know, a very sort of Dustin Rosen deal, like pre revenue, strong team. Um, a lot of those now are, you know, raising two million plus. Even with those attributes, we're finding, especially folks who come from some branded company, if you come from some branded enterprise. SAS company and you're an executive you have had an executive role there as a vp of product or sales or whatever like those folks are coming out of the gates raising larger rounds um and we're honestly struggling on how to handle a lot of that <laughs> um there's just a lot of capital around um so we haven't uh done a large pre seed that's like the three million um But yeah, so there's some that raise a couple hundred thousand. It's rare. It's getting more and more rare that folks are raising 500 to 750 and then doing a traditional two to three and a half million seed. It feels like the pre-seeds, at the minimum, they're raising like over a million, you know, and then they might raise another two and then they might raise another two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there's like lots of fruit names in between, like mango and lots of things. Yeah, it's gotten a a little chaotic, to be frank.
1: What about if you're not um, a, a, a SaaS enterprise executive and you're more trying to break into the market a little bit more? Um, and I guess with, with the B2B focus, it's it, it does tend to be slightly more seasoned entrepreneurs that you're seeing. But do you think things like going to an accelerator, going to an incubator, do you think that's a helpful route for, for these companies? Do you look at a lot of companies coming out of those programs? Yeah, you asked me that. Sorry, I
2: skipped no, that okay. early well, mini. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you coming back to that. Um, I think... We haven't found the accelerator accelerator route to be super productive for us. Um, I think we still scan YC like we're going next week, Uh, but every year we're like, I don't know whether we're gonna do YC, (laughs) and then we get pulled in. Um, And I think the quality is still high from some of the accelerators and incubators, but in general, there's so many incubators. If you really look like every city in the world has one or more incubators, it's hard to keep up. Um, but if you're a local founder, I'm not going to tell you not to do an incubator because if that's the only way you're going to get, like you said earlier, like get in the system and get to know the network and know, get to know the lingo, get access to some content and wisdom, why not?
1: something you and I both have spent a lot of time both in the bay area and in LA and so you know so excited to see LA growing it's fun to be part of a growing market it just feels like um just feels like there's a lot of momentum here but um in the bay area you see that tech has not always been like a real Entire force for good at, in the society as a whole, and there's just huge disparities in San Francisco, and it's gotten hard to live. And it, it, it's not, you know, it's not yet the flagship city. I think we'd hope that that the Bay Area would be. And so, how do we help LA sort of steer that path into having tech be a real force for good here?
2: It's it's a great question, Minnie. It's something I think about all the time, and it's a question that keeps me awake. Um, in some ways, I would argue that we already slip past that. I mean, you look at the you know homelessness numbers. Uh, you don't have to drive too far from L.A. to see people living in conditions that are you know polar opposites of what you'll find on the in, in West L.A. Right? Like you drive three miles, go south of the 710, and there you have it. You know, a city that on a heat map is you know blazing red from toxicity exposure from uh, longevity of life. I mean, people are living like 10 years less because they live three miles away from where we live. Um, so the question is, you know, how do we not only keep it from getting worse, but how do we actually recognize that it's already, the gaps are already all there um, and how can tech as a community rise up and galvanize to do something about it um it's tough you know i think i I think there's so many great foundations locally like Annenberg with pledge la and certainly at the california community foundation weingart all these folks are very focused a lot of folks on the public sector um, on trying to address some of these issues um specifically like how do we talk to the tech community to get them to care Um, You know, for example, recently we had a measure, um, I think it was like double E measure on bringing more dollars into LAUSD to keep them from going bankrupt. Um, And it didn't pass. And in talking to folks in our community, it's hard because none of those kids, none of their kids go to LAUSD, which happens to be 90 percent people, kids of color. um, And there's 600,000 of them, you know. So you could say, hey, like, no more taxes. I'm tired of more being taxed, Um, you know. LAUSD is run super poorly. The unions suck. You could say all those things. But the matter of fact is we have 600,000 kids who are, has to go through the system. And, you know, they need help. Like, what what are, if, if, if taxing is not the way to do it, like, what are other solutions that we can propose? And I think it's closing sort of the gap of the way we live life and experience it. And for the folks here to recognize that there are just a lot of challenges in LA. It's a very large, complex city. Um, And hopefully more folks. And I I think there are already folks involved. So I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, there's not a judgment thing. Like Adam Miller and and Gill and others have been very philanthropic. um, And I'm sure there are lots of others who are anonymous. um, But I'm still looking um, to find ways to get the community to like really step up.
1: Well, I think that there's also, um, there's a nonprofit nonprofit philanthropic foundation angle but I think that increasingly the private sector is playing just this huge role in this society that we're building, and so I don't want it to say, "Oh, we'll leave it to the foundations to solve this problem." And so I, I do think it has to um, start at the beginning with investing too. And so, like when we look at companies, like is there a way to sort of, I mean, this is something we were talking about a little bit recently, David and I were, which is, you know. Where, how much do you, you know, fund things that you want to exist in the world? I know is not the the right like investing sort of premise, but but how do you, you know, do you think about that sort of impact lens to some degree? I know you're not an impact fund, but when you're making investment decisions,
2: yeah, it's a it's a very uh, real tension. Um, I think when we raised our second fund, uh, one of the LPs, a prominent LP, said it's weird like when we look at your portfolio it seems like it's organically social impacty even though you know you don't state anywhere that you're going after like more diverse founders or you're trying to solve like all the world's ills or anything like that um so maybe by default who we are and who you are that that portfolio will shape up to have those elements um but I think there are other ways to tackle it too, right? So, even if you invest in a company that perhaps the founders are not the most diverse, right? It's still two guys from Caltech and building something in cybersecurity or whatever. Um, you could still work with them to like hire people from community colleges that's in LA, right? And thinking about things like that. So, there are many ways to operationalize uh, uh, plans that br- are much more inclusive. Um, and really focus on more marginalized populations um, outside of just saying, like, the company itself has to be working on housing, you know, as an example.
0: Um, I think we're going to start asking some of our shorter questions. but You actually teed up a really good segue for for one of the ones we had, which is what's what's the investment that you're most proud of? And it can be from either that angle that you just discussed or financial angle or or whatever angle you – Makes you proud?
2: Yeah, um, I think the early days. I've really loved Andela. Um, you know, I think when Jeremy Johnson pitched it to me over the phone, and I've known him from his days at Two U, um, where it was Two I mean, U is a wonderful ed tech company. Um, he was leaving a company that he took public uh, and wanted to, you know, combine forces with two Nigerian co-founders um, in Canada to build this wonderful system to help folks in Africa who have, you know, uh, the motivation and the propensity towards computer science and STEM and, you know, really change our lives. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Cause I think when I heard Jeremy pitch it, I was like, yeah, I'm in like, it's one of those rare things mm-hmm. where the fact not. Because the idea itself was just, I mean, it's certainly very compelling, but it's extremely hard to execute, right? Like, he wanted to go to Lagos during a time when Ebola was, like, raging. And I'm like, wow, like, how long is this going to take and how much money is this going to take to do, like, class by class? And he was offering these students not only free transportation to the site from all around, you know, Africa, but also, like, free housing. Um, And the education itself, three-month program was free. And I was like, wow, this is going to be costly. And how how does this scale (laughs) type of thing? But the fact of sort of his path and why he was doing it and the path, the fact that he was so passionate f- about education since he graduated from college. Like I knew if somebody could solve it, he could. Um, so that's definitely one of the more proud, you know, I've many, but you know, that one's sort of his soft spot in my heart. To so.
0: What advice do you give founders? And is there advice that you hear other people give founders that you think is bad advice?
2: Hmm, that's a great question. Um, Well, maybe I'm not sure this is what you're looking for, but I work with a lot of not only founders, but just general folks in tech, um, especially especially with diverse young, diverse people when they ask, like, should I what's the path? Should I do this first or do this first? Should I do VC for two years? Should I do McKinsey? I don't have a good answer for what that path needs to be because there is no, um, I don't think there is any linear path. Um, I always say to them, just be excellent at what you do. Uh, Be passionate and really be into what you're doing Um, because the most important thing that you're going to come out of any role, any job, any company is the network that you form, the people and the relationships. And you'll take those on later on because I think a lot of folks today, especially I feel like some of the millennials, they jump in a job, they're like, oh, it's not as exciting as I want it to be. You know, I'm not partner yet. And then they want to jump somewhere else else um, guess what you leave behind a trail of like disappointed people um, because your expectations were just not aligned and I just say hey whatever whether you're starting off as an office manager or you're entering as a CEO I don't care just be excellent um, and make sure you form those relationships so that in a sort of other chapters of your life you may have that those people as your co-founders for something or you might start a VC fund together Absolutely.
1: I think I saw the stats that it was like the average tenure right now in the Bay Area is uh, like 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7 years in a job. It's pretty short. It means a lot of people are jumping around. Um, how about advice for your um, the the founders who are in your portfolio? Or you know, if you're sitting on a board or you're helping them raise their next round um, or just helping them think through challenges in their
2: business? I think capital efficiency is huge for us. Um, I think you guys agree. David gave the thumbs yeah. up on that. <laughs> I have heard you guys... This is what pink flag to you know a burning red flag. Like actually, recently we've been looking at an investment um, where we just got the uh, financial projections and the burn, and it was crazy. Companies are burning, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand be- before a drop of revenues have come in. I'm not going to say that model doesn't work because I'm certain that there's some ideas that require you to spend a lot of money for it to get going. Uh, but in general, especially like an enterprise SaaS. Um, I believe in frugality. I believe in putting every dollar into the product early on until you get, you know, the awful word about product market fit and not spending on lots of other frivolous things. Um, And I believe in building the team um, sort of in the right manner at the right speed. Um, I think frugality is like everything because you're really just buying time. You're, you know, that's the only (laughs) buying time till it clicks. Um, And it could click in one year or we have, you know, numerous examples where it takes seven you know so if you really want to do this like you got to kind of sort of bite down um and compromise on you know a lot of things whether it's office space or or personal salaries um so that's one of the things we really look for is i like, can't do does the founding team like do they really have that philosophy um and if not it's pretty hard for us to to uh invest
1: um I, i'll ask um i know you're a voracious reader I am not, so I'm probably not going to read it. I'm <laughs> struggling with time allocation right now, but um, I'd love to hear about something that that you've read that you've found really important.
2: Yeah, Minnie, you're forgiven. I know you have three kids, three little, uh, ones. Three little ones. So uh, you know, I think that definitely should be your uh, full time focus. Um, so I don't have little kids right now, uh, and um, I do really enjoy reading. And I think you know, like Dave, uh, we were talking. Um, I actually enjoy reading a lot of stuff outside of tech, um, just because I think our brains at least my brain really needs a rest and it needs to be fed with like other topics of interest for me to actually be a better investor um i've read a book recently that sort of crosses the chasm between sort of a business book and really more of a memoir i love memoirs by the way i love biographies um so it's called setting the table by danny meyer he's a very well-known uh, new york um restaurant owner um I think what came away from that story was his sort of maniacal focus on customer and customer experience, right? So you could say, hey, he just runs a bunch of restaurants like Shake Shack and Tabla and et cetera. But he gives so many examples in his book where he goes above and beyond uh, treating a customer, whether he's remembering an anniversary or he had a story about like somebody that left their wallet in a cab and how the manager like focused specifically on returning that wallet to him. Um, And he does it with just a delightful way of, just the way he speaks and thinks about the world, it just he really approaches it with a lot of generosity and compassion, um, not only to his customers, but also to his employees. And I walked away thinking, like, this guy is pretty awesome. I would like to get to know him someday. So.
0: I'm going to go read that book. Um, as as a closing question, I'd, I'd like to just ask, how do you measure success? When you look back on Fika, and hopefully you'll be doing it for a very long time, but when you're not doing it anymore and you're looking back, what will be success? What What do you want to see?
2: Yeah it's something I honestly toss back and forth often. And I wonder whether you two do or will. Um, this is a very classic, I feel like, mental gymnastics when you come from an operating background, right? So it's different, I think, when you come from an I banking and others where you are very much measured by your IRR or your TVPI or whatever. But when you come from an operating background where you, you know your life is just very different, um, your goals are very different, um, the, the number of relationships that you build. And I think... For me, I definitely have struggled a bit early on when I moved over to investing because everyone was asking like, what's your MOIC? And I was like, okay, I know that, but I don't really wanna talk about that. That's not the reason I do this job. Um, I think, you know, on my tombstone, I hope it's gonna be, if I can look back, that you know I had some impact, we had some impact as a firm uh, in the start of some really wonderful companies that solved some big things Um, and, it's less about finding the next next Instagram for us, really. It's about hopefully having one, two, three, four companies that are solving big things either around like healthcare education, housing, uh you know, helping people reach human potential within enterprises, whatever whatever that may be. I think i I would be proud. um I'm not sure. I'll get there. You know, I think we have a lot of seedlings in place. A lot of companies were were really proud of what they're trying to solve. But I think time will tell. Success is a long game here. It's going to be decades. Um, You know, but certainly, you know, I don't think if the people who know myself and TX, like we certainly want to win. I mean, I think we're pretty competitive people. But the why of why we do this is not about hitting the numbers. I mean, if our numbers were, you know, 0.2 less than you guys, like, I mean, the LPs are listening. It's not that I don't care, but I feel like if I've had an equal sort of cohort of companies that are doing wonderful things, I'm not going to lose sleep over that.
1: Uh, It's, I think, what makes LA sort of inspiring to be part of this world is that we will all be rooting you on in that journey. I
2: really appreciate it. It's been so fun chatting with you both. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thanks for doing it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to LA Venture. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. It makes a big difference in helping others find the podcast.
0: For more information on Ten One Ten Ventures, please visit 10110.net.